itself, not just the yeah. song. So Edith's first one, I remember that really was sort of taking on the attitude of Yeah, and nowadays, I don't know if that would work as well, but back then, people watched MTV so much, and they could see the same video like eight times a day. So you were intimately familiar with every little detail and nuance, which made it very easy to parody. All you had to do was tweak it a little bit, and people thought it was hilarious. Right. Were you a, a, a great fan of some of the, the sort of, not novelty songs, but obviously Dr. Demento, but there was a lot of sort of odd musical stuff on television, you know, in the 70s and 60s, even like, you know, you'd get weird stuff on Ed Sullivan, or, you know, even on like, sure. you know, Lawrence Welk, you'd get weird stuff. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe not intentionally. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think who, who I, I would have seen, like, back in my childhood that would have uh, been an inspiration. I mean, you know, the, the, I guess one of the people that inspired me were the people on Demento uh, from the 40s and 50s, like the Spike Jones and the Shermans. Sam Freeberg, Tom Lerner, people like that. But yeah, that didn't make it onto network TV very much. It was very fringe. So it wasn't until, that's why it was such a revelation when I was exposed to, exposed to the documentary show because I heard all these amazing uh, musicians and artists that I really never heard before. I mean, you would get those guys sometimes on cartoons because they were so good with voices. Right, well, Freeberg was a huge. Yeah. They'd pop up on that stuff. But yeah. were you one of those kids who put two and two together and was like, wait a minute. That cartoon voice is the guy who's singing the funny song that I like as well. <laughs> Not until much later. It's sort of revelation now that, like, you know, Stan Freeberg is like one of my all time favorite artists. Like, oh, he was Pierre Puma. Right. He was like this guy and that guy. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And as Freeberg started when he was like 18 years old, he'd tell us this great story. Well, he told us a great story about how he was like a kid that did the funny voice. He was 18 years old and uh, got on a bus to, to Hollywood. And he goes, well, where do you, where do you uh, get a job for voice acting? <laughs> and, he, and he went to an agent's office and he did the voice for them. And, and uh, they took him to Warner Brothers and he did some voices for them. And, and uh, they loved him and said, oh, come back next week and, uh, you know, uh, we'll, 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 you know, give you a, a, another test. And uh, they, they said, oh, you know how it goes. I mean, it's not like you just came off the bus. So when you were growing up in California, were you aware that a lot of that stuff was being made sort of near you, or did it still seem like a million miles away? Well, you know, I grew up in Linwood, which is not Hollywood, right. but it was close enough. I mean, I could drive into Hollywood. Uh, I, I think maybe if I was born in the Midwest, maybe I wouldn't have a job in the entertainment business because that would have really felt like it was unattainable a million miles away. Uh, but uh, uh, growing up in the greater Los Angeles area, you know, it was sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, why not, like, drive to Hollywood Boulevard, knock on some doors, and annoy some publishers, and see if I can get something going. And the Dr. Mano show did a show, he did a show live uh, at KMT in, in Hollywood. Um, so it all kind of makes sense. You just go there. You just go there. Yeah. You just go there. Uh, was there any, did you ever go to, like, a TV taping or anything like that when you were growing up, or seeing any kids' shows, like a taping of a TV show, or? You know, like a Stanley Swedowski's Clubhouse-style <laughs> show or anything? Like a local kid show? No, I can't, I can't say that I did. Uh, I know you've never asked that before, but no, I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I never uh, went any TV tapings or anything like that. Like, Hollywood did, you know, like, again, yeah, you know, before I you know, could drive a car, it wasn't like I was going to Hollywood very much. And my, <laughs> parents, my parents never really thought to, like, expose me to that. Did you have a favorite sort of kid show? Because I'm thinking of the Weird Al show, which I love. Uh -huh. And it, it had the vibe of kind of almost like the LTV and the sort of we're putting on a show and no one's watching. We have the studio to ourselves kind of show. We also had that vibe of 
a lot of the sort of you know weird local kids yeah. uh, were introducing animation shows, which was in UHF mind as well. well. One of my favorite kids shows when I was a kid was uh, a show hosted oddly enough by Billy Barty, who wound up being in UHF. Uh, and I, I I only have the vaguest memories of it, but I remember he had a really wonderful kid show, and the kids loved Billy Barty because he's a, a little person, and they kind of treated him sort of like as a peer. Uh, so he related to them on a really, you know, intimate kind of level, and it was a really, really fun show. For that, and the sheriff John, I think, I guess this was a local thing, yeah, you yeah. know. But nowadays it would seem like a weird thing, but I, I remember back then, Sheriff John would have this milk drinking game, where he would have, everybody was supposed to have a glass of milk, and then he'd say, green light, and then he'd start drinking your milk, and he had to keep drinking until he got red light. Of my process, I'll come up with 100 ideas, and hopefully one will work. 
work. Right, right. And sometimes I can't even find one that really works, so I have to let that go. Because a lot of those songs wind up in polka medley, because virtually any song, song sounds better than polka. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Weird TV, it was 
uh, we I gave close to a thousand shirts to Goodwill. Wow. <laughs> so someone got <laughs> bought a Weird Al shirt and had no idea that they were in your shirt. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> <laughs> that would make a great documentary, just hunting down the thousand Weird Al shirts. That are in the <laughs>
person you'd like to work with musically, like do a duet with or like co-write a song with? Like, is there someone you're just like, man, I would like to? Um, uh, Linda Mulgrew is a friend of mine, and we we before Hamilton came in, actually, we were trying to do a musical together, and it didn't quite gel, and now he's a little busy. <laughs> but but you know, we're we're friends, and I'm sure we friends for a long time, and uh, it might happen at some point in the future. Is there a genre that you just haven't been able to click into? I can't think of one, but I mean, there's you're able to you know chameleon like sort of pull off. Um, these genres though. I don't know. I don't think there's anything that my band can't pull off. There's there's genres I haven't tackled yet, I guess. Although I, I tackled quite a few. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, one of these days I'll get a random ball. Anything that you think I should be tackling? Um, you know, I I, don't, I feel like you haven't done a heavy metal. Young, dumb, and ugly. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sort of like ACDC-esque. Yes, yes. It's hard to do a heavy metal thing because I feel like I'm kind of like it's going so into spinal tap territory. Yeah. I don't want to kind of bite their style too much. Yeah, is there something that you, aside from that, where you're like, man, I'd love to do this, but someone else has done it, where I feel like I'm better and I could never touch it? Every now and then, you know, it's hard nowadays with parodies, because back in the 80s and 90s, uh, I could do anything I wanted and not worry that somebody else had already done it. Now, of course, in the YouTube age, I can't go for any of the obvious ideas. Like, if I think of a song idea, and it's, it's like an obvious idea, Somebody's done it already, and I couldn't do Eat It now because there would be, you know, if a uh, hit song called Beat It came out, there would be 10,000 periods on YouTube called Eat It, so I have to think outside the box a little bit. And on the last album, I was going to do a Star Trek parody based on uh, uh, Let It Go called Make It So. <laughs> and then I Googled it, which I probably shouldn't have, but of course somebody else had done it already. I'm like, oh, well, I can't do that now. So it's, it's a little difficult to do. But it makes you have to up your game a little bit, maybe. It does. Oh, yeah, it does. It makes you kind of, I can't go for the low hanging fruit anymore. Right, right. Uh, one of my favorite things, and I wore this video out, was the complete app. I, I had oh, the VHS tape, and it was, the, the, maybe the closest thing I could think of was like my Nesmus uh, elephant part. Oh, thank you. I love that. Before that, which was, you know, for people who don't know, it was like a video album. Yeah. With comedy. And bands were pointing out, here's a collection of all our videos. But that went so much further by making it sort of a career retrospective documentary. Yeah. Uh, you know, three years into the career. <laughs> it was one of those, it was a, an, an odd call because it was before Behind the Music, it was sort of like a, a mock documentary. And, you know, it was odd to me because it mixed a few actual facts from my real life with obviously bogus facts. And, you know, I think it might have confused a lot of people because, like, people like, what's real and what's not real? Uh, to the point where, you know, when, when I was finally asked to do a reel behind the music, I was like, well, do we want to do a goof behind the music, or does anybody actually care at this point what my real story is? Was it a hard sell for that? Because I, I imagine the record label was like, hey, we want to do one of these videos, we just kind of compile our videos and put it out. I, I think they were open to it. I, don't, I, I, I was one of the one on the front lines doing the negotiations, so I can't really tell you, but I, I think they were open to it because they wanted something, I think, a little unusual for, for me, so. Uh, yeah, I, here, here's an interesting uh, factoid. Um, the uh, uh, Orson Orson Welles was had agreed to be the uh, the narrator for the complete album, and uh, it would have been probably his last job ever. Uh, and he was all set to do it, and and uh, CBS Fox, which put it out, said, "Well, we can't hire Orson Welles because we're a it's a non-union shoot, and he's a union." And because of that, we lost it. And then what made it even worse was, for some other, for some reasons, we became a union job, 
And we could have hired him, but it was too late at that point. And then his legacy was Transformers the movie, and it could have been the complete album. That's so much better. Uh, is there is there anyone else like that that you wanted to get, like maybe for UHF or in a video or anything that just didn't work out or um, was big came close? Uh, we, I, I didn't. <laughs> there's a lot of instances of that. I don't always do my first choice. Right. Uh, I did. I did a a thing a few years ago called uh, Al's Brain in 3D, <laughs> which was a, a theme ride, which it was a, a 10 minute long 3D film, which I wrote and directed about the human brain. It was an educational, fun film. There were a lot of cool cameos in that. Um, and it, it played at the, the uh, 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 Orange County Fair, and it also played at, uh, in Western Washington. And that's the only two places it's ever played. Um, but there's one bit where I wanted to get uh, we had some like Batman Street questions, and, and I thought it'd be fun to you know, like have my mother-in-law, and then have like Fabio, and then have some other celebrities. <laughs> and uh, at one point, we asked Coolio because you know at that point, you know, it, without it, it was funny because we'd had this beat, <laughs> but, but 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 we knew that he at that point he was fine. We thought, oh, what a great way to bury the hatchet. We'll get Coolio to do this. So we asked him, and he said yes, but he would need I'm not going to say how much money, but. Money. <laughs> and we like, you know, it's a low budget thing, we can't afford to do that. So, in the meantime, we get a call from Paul McCartney, he wants to do it. I don't think this was something I knew was going to happen. In the, in the middle of it, they wheeled. 
I imagine you could use that in Halloween or something if you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything you wish you kept? Or like a, a, a memento or something that you were like, oh, I'm gonna there is. I mean, like Seth, you know, Seth uh, disappears from, from video sets all the time, so you have to like really stay on it to make sure that you grab stuff if, if you want, because right. things just kind of mysteriously walk away. My, my drummer has got way more stuff than I do. John Maria Schwartz, yep. he's sort of the official archivist, so he's got a garage full of like memorabilia, which you know, some of it's really cool, some of it. My, my, my wife is just hoping that he never dies, because if he does, that'll come to us. Yeah. <laughs> 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 she has to go through it. She goes with the Albatross collection. Right, right. Uh, that was a bad pun on my part. The weird Albatross. You can call it. There you go. Here you do. You travel the museum when you tour. That's like in the lobby of the places. Well, we, we uh, for the uh, last tour for the Mandatory Fun Tour, we actually had a VIP lounge, which was kind of a traveling museum, uh, which was like a, a lot of things in glass cases. Like the original script from UHF and the Grammy and and uh, you know various uh, 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 costumes from the, the music videos. So that was that was pretty fun. So you've been doing a lot more of these sort of to, to wrap up here sort of the VIP events and like meeting fans and stuff. And things have sort of changed in a lot of ways where this is more you know people more accessible now. Have you noticed any big difference between sort of touring now and touring in you know the mid '80s or late '80s that that. Well, I mean, the audiences are bigger, for, and, uh, and they're more they're more varied. When, when I first started out in the '80s, uh, in the early '80s, I, I think my uh, hardcore audience was predominantly male and predominantly young. And what's nice is nowadays, uh, the people that were into me in the, in the '80s have kind of grown up with me, not bringing their families, and and uh, and everybody seems to be enjoying the show. I mean, it's a really multi generational, you know, demographically varied crowd. Uh, and everybody seems to be enjoying it on a certain level. Yeah, I mean, they don't even have to be familiar with the song that you're parodying to enjoy. It's a fun show. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting, and thank Weird Al, everybody. And if you like what you've heard, subscribe to some of our other shows like Exotic Liability, PETA's, and Honey Bunch's Pop Culture Spectacular, and I Hate Kathy Hammond. We can be found by searching for The B-A-C-N, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music, or at www.bacnpodcast.com.